Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world run better and be a better place, it's time to run or drive with the Game Changers, and you are here in the right place. Just a side note here, we are dedicating this episode to our late friends and colleagues at SAP, Larry Stoley, and we recently lost David Parrish, another really good guy left us way too soon. So RIP both of you. Now let's talk about the buzz. I have a quote here from Fred Kent. If you're not familiar with him, he's the founder and president of the nonprofit organization Project for Public Spaces. Let me read the quote to you. If you plan cities for cars and traffic, you get cars and traffic. If you plan for people in places, you get people in places. I want to say, well, duh, that seems pretty obvious. So what are we talking about today? By the year 2030, and remember, we're almost midway through 2018, not that far off, two-thirds of humanity will live in urban areas and megacities with more than 10 million people populations. And those are going to increase by a third. It's going to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Those urban areas will become, you know what, congested. The good news is that cities bring innovation, they bring energy, they bring forward motion, and they bring economic progress. But in the progress, the process of all that, they get bogged down by traffic. Everybody needs to go somewhere, somehow, and a lot of us are still driving cars. Infrastructures are aging in cities, and we have a lot of threats to quality of life. You can imagine what those are. So this is the future of cars with game changers. We're going to look at how smart city technologies focused on automotive, we're talking something called intermodal transportation planning, and intelligent traffic management. I don't think that's an oxymoron. Can these help alleviate the challenges facing these urban areas? So our topic today is automotive state of the union, urban mobility, and smart cities. Again, welcome. Let me tell you who my three experts are on the show today. We have Joe Renz, co-founder of New Mobility Lab, joined by Monali Shaw, Director of Intelligent Transportation at HERE, all caps H-E-R-E Technologies, and Dante Ricci, Global Public Sector and Smart Cities Marketing Lead at SAP. Welcome to our esteemed panelists. Joe Renz has selected a quote from Steve Martin. Okay, you must know who he is. American actor, comedian, writer, producer, musician. We all remember him from SNL, Saturday Night Live. He's doing some uh, composing for Broadway. He's played the banjo since he was a kid. He has a solo album that won a Grammy Award for Bluegrass and on and on and on. Here is the quote Joe has selected from Steve Martin. Be so good, they can't ignore you. Joe Renz, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Hello, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me on the show. We're delighted to have you. I love the quote, but I need you to link it for me, please, from Steve Martin, who we all love and adore, at least the people I know do, to our topic on urban mobility. What does one thing have to do with another? Go ahead, Joe. With New Mobility Lab, we envision, inspire, and co-create the future of mobility. And uh, when we look at the new mobility world, we see connected vehicles, autonomous vehicles, e-mobility, urban mobility, and smart cities. And the services connect all of those together. 
and uh, we see technology to be the true enabler of this future uh, that we're all going to live in and we're all going to aspire to. And yesterday was the slowest day of change we will experience for the rest of our lives when it comes to technology. So I like Steve's quote because uh, there is so much change going on and so much exponential growth in technology that only the cream will rise to the top and only the superior technologies such as distributed ledger technology and others Mm -hmm. will actually make it uh, to the top, will make it to the mass adoption that we all need to really make these future cities that we're talking about in 2030 a reality and also to drive something that is very important to the mayors of the big cities today, which is inclusive economic growth. And there again, technology is going to play a, a significant role, but we have to be so good that we cannot be ignored because of this rapid uh, space, uh, pace of change. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Joe. I, I, I get such a kick out of taking a quote from somebody who is in the entertainment field and s- applying it or weaving it into a topic about technology. I have a feeling that Steve Martin, by the way, his full name is Stephen Glenn Martin, and he was born in 1945. I have a feeling he'd be very honored that you use this quote to talk about urban mobility. So so my question for you, Joe, before I move on to Manali's quote is, um, do you think people will still be actually physically driving cars in these urban megacities by 2030? Will it just be outliers like me who's never going to give up my sports car? Is it going to be uh, Uber? We won't talk politics about them, but will we still have physical cars being driven by real people by 2030? Any? I, I know we do predictions at the end, but I'm just curious, Joe. Our prediction clearly is that the uh, car will take the path of the horse. Uh, there was a time in the world where everyone who could afford a horse had a horse. And uh, we see those pictures of New York City with all these buggies and uh, all the challenges mm-hmm. that go with it. And today, there's still horses around. There's people, as you said, like you, who love their sports cars, and these cars will always be there. People using the car for uh, uh, hobbies and then also maybe some professional racing. But it will take the path of the horse where the average person will no longer own or uh, operate a, a vehicle. As a matter of fact, the vehicle will become its own economic agent, and uh, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show. And then uh, we will leverage these services that these machines will provide to us uh, just to get to the office, to get to the picnic, wherever we need to go. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Thanks for letting me jump ahead a little bit to uh, predictions. Yes, horses come and come with reins and saddles, and they come inside of sports cars, too. Manali Shaw is our second panelist. By the way, she and Joe are both newcomers to Game Changers, and welcome to both of you. Manali has picked an absolutely beautiful quote from Maya Angelou, born Marguerite Annie Johnson. Interesting. Uh, she was born in 1928 and left us in 2014. American poet, singer, memoirist, and civil rights activist, best known for one of her seven autobiographies describing her childhood and early adult experiences. 1969, it was called I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Uh, Her books centered on racism, identity, family, and travel. Very interesting lady. And now let's read the quote. Quote, we delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. Manali, I want to crochet this on a pillow somewhere as soon as I can find my crochet hook and some yarn. How are you, Manali Shah? <laughs> Doing fantastic. Thanks, Bonnie. 
Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about this quote. Are you a big fan of Maya Angelou? And how in the world did you pick a quote about butterflies to talk about technology and urban mobility? This I really want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I you know I read many of her books. I think all of those autobiographies that you referred to, and you know I was just amazed at her journey. You know all the things that she went through in her life, but how she transformed things into you know, who she was and and such a powerful and positive person. And so when I think about this quote, there's a couple of different layers. You know, the first part of it is like that, that second part of admitting the change, you know, that you have to go through. And I think we all know transformation can be challenging. It could be challenging physically, mentally, emotionally. There's struggle, there's obstacles and barriers and we can be overwhelmed by it and overcome. And some people can even be paralyzed by the daunting nature of big change. Um, and, and, you know, if you think of, like, the, the journey that a butterfly goes through, you know, it's pretty amazing. You think of it starts off as this little egg. Then it transforms into this caterpillar. It stays dormant in a cocoon. It forms legs and wings, and then it has to break out of this cocoon and fly. And it's really something when you think of all those changes, you know, that it goes through physically. Um, And so, you know, there is this notion of change being really challenging. But then there's another part of it when I think about this quote, um, you know, a butterfly doesn't need to think about how hard this transformation is, right? It happens mm-hmm. naturally, and it follows its instincts, and it just, it happens, right? And, and so when I think about nature, I look at this natural ability to adapt and change, make room for the new, and blossom, right? And so sometimes I think we focus on the hard part of it, but then if we think of that natural evolution and that natural change that happens, um, you know, it gives us a different kind of perspective on that journey. And so when I think of this quote, I think, you know, it's important to recognize the journey and that journey is full of ambition, struggle, obstacles, instinct, connection, and there's wonder and beauty in that whole journey. And I think that's the part that I take from it is, you know, and that relates to this transformation that we are going through now in mobility and transportation, right? There's all these things in there, but there's a beauty in that whole journey and where we're going to get to. I hear a beautiful eternal optimist when you speak, Monali, and I think everybody is probably saying, Thank goodness we have somebody who sees beauty in all of this, because when we think of urban and we think of megacities and we think of the, as I said, aging infrastructures and congestion, we think of entanglements, we think of delays, we think of honking horns, don't we? And I like the fact that you can see past that to think that something beautiful will come from it. And I think that's what will drive people to move to those cities and hope that they can create some beauty and use technology to get there. Am I on track with that, Manelli? Absolutely. Thank you. So glad you're joining us. We really appreciate it. Lovely quote. As I told you before we joined the show, somebody on my personal radio show last night mentioned a butterfly. We were talking about families and losing people in a a kind of a post-Mother's Day, what does family mean to you and and how spirits sometimes stay with us after somebody is gone. Somebody mentioned butterfly, and I remembered you had selected this beautiful quote from Maya Angelou, and I switched over to my other computer and looked it up and read it on the air. So thank you for that inspiration. And now he is 
is waiting patiently in the wings. He is Dante Ricci from SAP, and he has sent us a very interesting quote from the film The Jazz Singer, which was originally made in 1927 and then reprised, redone in 1980. Very interesting movie. Uh, Daryl Evzanik won an honorary Academy Award for producing it. Alfred Cohen was nominated for Best Writing Adaptation at the first Academy Awards. This goes back so far. And in 1996, I don't know if you know this, Dante, the jazz singer was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry of Culturally, Historically, or Aesthetically Significant Motion Pictures. I think that's wonderful. It's number 90 on the list of Best American Films of All Time. Here's the quote. You're not going to believe this one. You ain't heard nothing yet. Dante, I love the quote. I think we hear it all the time. So you have to help me. How does this relate to our topic on urban mobility? And Dante has been on our shows before. So welcome back, Dante. How are you? Thanks. Doing great. Good. When I think about you ain't heard nothing yet, it's really around the issues we face with mobility, specifically within urban environments today. You know, traffic congestion, aging infrastructures, the threats to quality of life are only going to get more exasperated as people move to urban environments and as the population continues to increase. We see it, prosperity itself and the ability for a city to economically prosper is not solving the issue because if you look at Seattle where they have Amazon and they're having uh, several different issues with traffic and, and homelessness or D.C. where I live, uh, where there's lots of uh, prosperity around the city at the mm-hmm. different suburbs and within the city itself, getting from point A to point B is only going to get exasperated. And the ability to reduce our pollution footprint as we go and uh, as population increases is going to be a bigger and bigger problem. So what do you think? You ain't heard nothing yet. What do you think? Is it going to be technology? Is it going to be self-driving cars? Is it going to be cities that get so smart that people will be amazed and stand there in wonderment and say, wow, everything is working right. We finally figured it out. What do you think that nothing yet is going to be? Where will that shock and amazement, that eureka be? What's your thought? The eureka piece is right now we're looking at certain, the, the reason why I chose it is I think right now we look at the issue today in the setting today, and we're not looking completely in the future and connecting technology to the conditions that we're going to have 20 years from now. So if you have mm-hmm. the term, you ain't seen nothing yet, wait until you, you fast forward 20 years and the population is that much bigger. <laughs> so we have to start thinking about how we're going to apply technology and how we're going to think about di- issues differently. Thank you very much, Dante. Pleasure to have you back. And now we're going to circle around the table to Joe Renz. And Joe, we'd love to know a couple things. As I say, I have two personal questions for you, but don't worry, they're not too personal. They're just number one and number two. Number one is, where are you calling us from today? And number two is, are you drinking something really interesting? If not, what's your favorite drink that powers you as the co-founder of New Mobility Lab? And tell us for about 60 seconds what your company does. I know you talked a little bit about it at the beginning, but give us a little, a little overview. Go ahead. I'm calling today from uh, the wonderful city of Chicago, and uh, it's my home uh, that I have selected a couple years ago after being uh, born and raised in uh, Stuttgart, Germany, and so I really like Chicago, and it's an awesome uh, opportunity here, and uh, 
when it comes to my drink, uh, I think anything in my life always has to have some context. So I do believe that a baguette tastes better in Paris than it tastes in Chicago and Stuttgart. And so my drink is a gin and tonic, but the gin and tonic at sundown in Kenya is one of those things that uh, is kind of one of those lift-me-ups whenever I uh, have, uh, have an opportunity. And when you experience being in nature but also having this taste on your taste buds, um, there's some contextual awareness to it that I, that I find amazing. As far as the New Mobility Lab is concerned, um, the reason we, we, we founded the, uh, the lab is because we see open innovation being driven by the large corporates, the 100-year-old companies, the incubants, you know, the inventor of the car and others who have been in this space for a long, long time. And uh, as they get digitally disrupted, digitally transformed, they have a need for this open innovation, which we want to provide a platform for. Uh, and also we want to enable the uh, working with, de- with startups, with young companies. And clearly a young company has different priorities, different focus areas, mm-hmm. as does the large company have their certain demands. And this, um, this uh, connection between the two of them is something that we try to enable by providing uh, sometimes cutting-edge, sometimes bleeding-edge uh, innovation and then the enablement of that uh, to drive that uh, future uh, mobility uh, and to create this uh, world that we all as humans would like to live in because as much as we talk about machines, uh, I think, and, and Dante touched on this as well as Mahali, uh, there is uh, the human aspect to it. We have this future in our own hands and we are the ones who have to create it. Thank you very much. Very well put. Appreciate that. And now let's turn to Manali Shah. Manali at HERE Technologies, H-E-R-E, all caps. So two questions as well. Actually, three, Manali. Number one, where are you calling from today? Number two, what is the drink that powers you up or really makes you smile the most? And tell us a little bit about what your company does, please. Great. I am also in Chicago, like Joe. Um, and I am drinking chai, which is an Indian tea. And this is not tea from Starbucks, but this is a homemade tea with uh, fresh ginger and lemongrass and my mom's blend of spices. So, uh, so that's my uh, drink for today. And um, in terms of uh, here, what we do, um, so if you kind of go back maybe 30 years ago, we created the first digital maps. For navigation. So we are a location data company. And, um, you know, even when I started with the company in its form at that time, uh, many years ago, most of us didn't even have access to navigation. So it's amazing to mm-hmm. see the transformation that has already taken place over the last decade or so um, from, you know, using paper maps to the world that we live in today. And so our company is all about location data and, and taking data that comes from lots of different sources and and then aiming it to solve specific problems around mobility and bringing together data from different industries, our own data, and helping, you know, on that whole side of being able to share data, make it more accessible, and, and being able to generate insights that solve problems. And so that's our role in the industry is to really play that role of the open location platform that enables data sharing. Thank you very much, Manali. Pleasure to meet you and know about you. And now let's turn to Dante Ricci. Dante, been a while since we've spoken, so where are you calling from today and what do you love to drink? Yeah, I'm calling from 
Oakton, Virginia, which is about 15 miles outside of Washington, D.C. lived here all my life and uh, love having family and friends that I've known all my life uh, surrounding uh, the area. I always drink every morning green tea. I love green. I'm drinking a green tea right now. Um, I try to check. I try to check out different flavors. Right now, I have a mint green tea. Tastes really mm. good. Sometimes I'll add a honey. Right now, just a straight up green tea. It's really good. Thank you. And tell me what you're up to. I haven't spoken to you in at least a year, maybe more. So, what what are you doing in the global public sector in smart cities at SAP? Yeah, at SAP, we have really focused in on the smart city environment, trying to help cities become more vibrant and efficient and effective. And we've really focused in on five different areas where we have solutions, um, end-to-end solutions to try to create an intelligent enterprise, whether it's a commercial entity working with a city or within a city environment or the public sector, the government itself. So we really focus our solutions on the government governance of society, the economy, and how we can help the uh, cities and the organizations working within cities uh, to make better decisions and to offer better services. And then we have solutions around environment and resources, transport and uh, people, and what I mean people, public safety and security, citizen services, mm-hmm. constituent insight, healthcare, social protection. So it's really a gamut of end-to-end solutions to try to help the society and specifically the urban environment thrive. Thank you very much, Dante. Pleasure to reconnect with you. And if anybody's wondering, it's Tuesday. Um, I am broadcasting. This is the beginning of our broadcast week, and they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. Hint, hint. So all I'm allowed to have is a cool, clear glass of water. I have a pink straw because I'm here in Durham, North Carolina now, relocated here eight months ago from Long Island, New York. And uh, the pink is because I'm happy because I'm looking out at my garden in the front, just planted and have beautiful colors looking at me through my office window, and a pond in the back and lots of plants and flowers and wildlife. And this is the happy time. This is summer. By the way, we get a frog concert every night. I don't know if any of you, Manelli or Joe or Dante, anybody ever heard a frog concert? It's free. Anybody heard it? I actually have a frog concert every night in my yard as well. I have two ponds in my backyard and every night. uh, You know, you know. It's like... Buzzing and honking and beeping and chirping all at the same time. It's very loud and it goes on for hours and hours. And I actually have frogs in my garden. I was watering some flowers yesterday and there was a very grown-up frog just hopping right by. And he said hello and I said hello and we left each other alone. So you're listening to (laughs) The Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio. I have to do a shout-out to Miranda LeBate at SAP who helped to put together this stellar panel. Miranda, you outdid yourself this time. We're talking about a very important topic, the automotive state of the union. What in the world does that have to do with urban mobility, smart cities? Will we be driving cars? Who will be getting us from point A to point B? Will we eventually use technology in a smart way to stop the traffic congestion and be able to do everything more efficiently? Or will we be bored if we get there too soon? I don't know. Maybe we all love traffic and, and having a concert about how we how we love traffic. So I'm not sure if the love-hate is going to stop ever about traffic. Maybe we need it because that's who we are in cities. We'll debate that when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I'll be right back with my very special guests, Joe Renz, Manali Shaw, and Dante Ricci. So, Aaron out.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. We are here talking about the future of cars. We're talking about a much bigger topic, actually, automotive state of the union, what's happening with urban mobility and smart cities. And as I said in the opening, by 2030, not that far away, two-thirds of humanity will live in urban areas and megacities with more than 10 million people will increase by nearly a third. So, Urban areas are booming, and what are we going to do about it? My special panelists today are Joe Renz, co-founder of New Mobility Lab, Monali Shah, Director of Intelligent Transportation at HERE, all caps H-E-R-E, Technologies, and Dante Ricci, Global Public Sector and Smart Cities Marketing Lead at SAP. And we've already done a deep dive into their opening quotes and where they are, and now we're going to do a deep dive into our roundtable. So Joe Renz told me the following before the show. He said, this is interesting. Everybody listen up. As we move away from individual car ownership and transition through fleet management, we will arrive at the vehicle as its own economic agent. That's a loaded statement. Joe Renz, please tell us more. I'd be happy to. Uh, Before I do that, though, I want to talk real quickly about uh, the question you had before about uh, will I still own my car? Okay, sure. In the United States, the average vehicle has four parking spots, four. And 96% of the time, the vehicle in an individual ownership perspective is sitting parked in one of those four parking spots. So the underutilization of this asset is is tremendous. If you just imagine that again, four parking spots, 96% of the time not utilized. Now, as we transition into fleet management, you see companies like Uber and Lyft that are coming out with services that say, I need to go from A to B, might it be the office or school or whatever it is, and I, as a platform, provide three services. The first service is I identify and, and kind of vouch for the, for the passenger, the payment processing I'm going to do, and then I'm also going to vouch for the driver and, to some degree, for the vehicle and I connect them, and I route them, that's what the Ubers and the Lyfts are doing, and obviously they're highly successful. But all of them are working on the autonomous vehicle, where as we reach level five, there is no more human 
necessary in order to move this vehicle from point A to point B. And the ultimate step will be when the car becomes its own economic agent, it literally mm-hmm. will own itself. Hmm. And, and this is not something that is, you know, super-duper futuristic. This is going to happen in those years leading up to 2030. And the uniqueness about the vehicle owning itself is that its uh, total cost of ownership is very, very low because this car has to pay for its electricity, for its spare parts, for toll stations, etc., but it certainly does not have to save for retirement. It does not have to save to put the kids through college. It doesn't go on vacation. And so what will happen is that this, the price of the service will be dramatically de- uh, decreased, which will lead to this inclusive economic growth that the megacities are currently trying to achieve. And now if we have less cars on the road, we have also the opportunity to leverage this aging infrastructure that we do have. And let's face it, I mean, we're not going to change the entire infrastructure of the world in the next uh, couple of years leading up to 2030. So we have to do with what we have, but using technology in a, in a more efficient way and, and putting people into these vehicles, not one vehicle per person or one person per vehicle, but really go into the on-the-ride share we can also serve the underserved communities that we have here in Chicago and in other mega cities, and really get this inclusive economic growth going. So I think this is something very powerful, and this is something we are very excited about. Thank you, Joe. Very interesting. Manelli Shaw at Here Technologies. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what Joe just shared. Please. Yeah, you know, I think there's there's a lot of behavior change that we are already seeing, right, in terms of how people view their vehicles. And I think from my perspective, I think it will be mixed for a while in terms of the relationship people have with their vehicles. There's some people like me who, I, you know, I, I, I'm ready to give up my vehicle and I, I don't need to drive and I don't feel the need to drive. <laughs> but then there's other people who, who still kind of feel like, hey, they live in their car and it's a part of their, you know, their whole um, lifestyle. And so I think for a while it will be mixed, but behaviors do change. And, and I think when you look at the younger generations as well, I think there is less of that notion of like being tied to the vehicle. And so I think in cities, especially it's in denser areas, it's much easier to have these kinds of services where you leverage whatever mode of transportation, whether it's a car or a train or a bus or whatever mode, it doesn't really matter. And it's just about helping me get there. And also, hey, I don't want to be bothered by um, having to pay attention to the road, right? I think that's, that's how a lot of the younger generation feels, right? They don't want to have to pay attention to the road. And so I think they're is this opportunity to really have this more shared mobility and less of this vehicle ownership. But I do feel like in other areas, you know, where people are further out from the urban centers, um, you know, there, but that transformation, I think may take longer because the needs are different and the options are different. So I see over the course, you know, if we look out, you know, to 2030, um, there will be rapid change in, in the urban centers, but then in other areas, it will be a mixed transition and people will, you know, maybe be holding on to their preferred ways and, you know, they like to drive and, you know, and and that, I think that will still occur. So 
I see the future being somewhat more mixed rather than like a quick transition to, uh, you know, this notion of no car, no car ownership. Thank you very much, Manelli. Dante Ricci, love to get your thoughts. Join us, please. Well, I, I think of three different words when I think of that uh, view of the world. It's, I, I agree somewhat that that will take place to it, and I also agree with the fact that it's a behavioral issue. Um, as be- behaviors go within a city, um, the fact is, if you're in the suburbs and you own a car and you like driving, then that's going to be a behavior issue of how you transition and how you evolve. But I do agree that, that we will get autonomous. We will have the ability to have a car to be its own economic profit and loss center. The question is the transition and then the evolution of that transition. So will it transition into single cars? There is something going on in Switzerland where they're building a parcel tunnel. It's a parcel transportation where it goes underground from city to city. And I think some of, some of the original vision of these autonomous cars would, would, would be was showing that we would drop off a person and then the car could pick up a package or a person and then continuously move around until it runs out of energy and then it goes and recharges. I think there's going to be an evolution where you have some autonomous vehicles driving citizens around, consumers around, but then you may ha- we also may have an evolution where they start using underground capabilities to yep. uh, alleviate some of the logistics that are going around the city, um, UPS services, food deliveries, those type of packages that are always uh, holding up um, urban traffic environments. <laughs> so, really interesting. I. I agreed, and I also disagree in some of those areas. Thank you. That makes for a good conversation. Before I go back to Joe Renz to wrap this part of the show up, I want to uh, do a sidebar here. Dante, I looked up, I Googled what you said. I have an article from February 1, 2016 by Evan Ackerman on spectrum.ieee.org, and it's titled, Swiss Considering $3.4 Billion Cargo Tunnel for Automated Delivery Trucks. Goods zipping along underground in little robot cars would clear trucks off of congested Swiss roads. Is this what you were talking about, Dante? Exactly, and it's evolving now as well. They're looking at now that we have drones starting to deliver packages. If you can deliver a package from one city to another, then it pops up into a warehouse. Can it be delivered by a drone? How is it going to be? get that last mile? There's a lot of different interesting things that will happen now between now and 2030. Yes, and the, the company was called Cargo Sue, Sue meaning under in French, also U.S. Cargo Sue Terrain. They presented a feasibility study in Zurich detailing plans for underground cargo. Dig a 67-kilometer-long, 6-meter-wide tunnel 50 meters below ground. Wow, very interesting. Yes, I think there was an article on The Digitalist that I did a voiceover for the Digitalist briefings recently about this this company a while ago. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Joe Rins, interesting start to our conversation. You started it. You kicked it off. Anything you want to say about what Manali and Dante added before we move on? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, Monali's point is well taken about uh, it'll it'll take a while. If you look at, um, back to my horse example, there's still uh, mm-hmm. people riding on horses. There's still people on buggies. Uh, we're talking about in the megacities, it will go a little bit faster. To Dante's point of going underground, you, we can go to L.A. You look what Elon Musk is doing underground uh, with the Boring Company. So he's starting to leverage a third dimension 
And uh, we're also going up in the air to Dante's point in uh, 2023. Uh, Uber has announced uh, they will have air taxis. And uh, that's also something that is, when we talk about vehicles, we purposely don't call it autonomous cars, but we talk about autonomous vehicles because of the, that third, maybe underground being a fourth dimension that we haven't even leveraged yet. And then hybrids such as Hyperloop, where they have to have some um, real estate on the ground, but they elevate the tubes. And, and then, you know, they're looking at Chicago at the moment to get from the airport to the city. Those kinds of things will also, again, from a technology perspective, open up opportunities that we haven't even uh, considered yet. And, and so this is why this is all, uh, all points well taken and extremely exciting. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate that wrap-up. And, Manelli, I'm looking at your notes, and I want to read a couple of lines and have you expand for us. First of all, you acknowledge cities across the globe are experiencing challenges from rising traffic congestion, longer commute times, ah, yes, air pollution, access to transportation options, and more. But then you say technology is only part of the answer. Mindset, processes, and people are the other parts. And I want you to talk about that, please, and a little bit about breaking down the many kinds of silos, including data silos. So, Benelli, why don't you kick off this part of the conversation for us, please? Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, we talk a lot about data, right, this explosion of data coming from this world that's getting more and more connected with vehicles and devices and drones and infrastructure, all these things coming online and getting more and more connected and so while there's this explosion of data, it's still locked up in these different silos. And these silos, you know, so I'll, I'll talk about data silos, but then I'll get a little bit to some of those broader points as well that get to the mindset and the organizational mm-hmm. side. Um, on the data silos, um, you know, it's really interesting as I talk with cities and states and on the public agency side, even within their own agencies, within a city, there's different departments, and they have their data all in these different silos. And often it's not even digitized, right? And so you have within a city these different departments. Uh, you know, we have public transportation, and we have the education system. We have emergency response, all kinds of different areas within the city that often are not connected to each other in terms of how they're sharing data. And then you step out beyond uh, the city side, and you look at the types of data that comes from vehicles and from drones and from mobile devices and fleet companies, there's all kinds of data that each of these entities are, are generating. And, and so our role and the way that we look at it is that in order to really take advantage of this opportunity we have with this data coming online, we need to break down these silos and look at what are the problems that we're trying to solve. And so if we take one, for example, like traffic congestion, um, we've, we've made progress in this area. We're collecting data that comes from mobile devices and vehicles and sensors, and we process all this data and turn it into traffic data. Here are the speeds and the congestion. Here's what's actually happening on the road so that cities and states and transportation agencies can use this data to actually see what's happening on their roads. Uh, and that's something that, you know, in, a decade ago wasn't possible. They'd have to go out and put equipment out there and, you know, do snapshots in time of, you know, what's happening on this roadway. So part of it is 
taking this data and making it available for different purposes. It might be useful in a navigation system for routing, but it's also useful for a city to be able to use in their operations center to see what's happening on the road. And so that's an example of breaking down these data silos. And what's what's been fantastic over the last couple of years that, you know, from the organizational side, I think in the past, you know, entities, whether their companies or public sector or private sector, it was kind of this mentality of like, we're going to keep all of this to ourselves or, you know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, it's us versus them and the public sector versus the private sector. And over the last few years, I've really seen that mindset change and that there's this recognition that there's no one entity that can do this and solve this on their own. And so the collaboration that's happening and the openness that's happening and sharing what are the biggest challenges, right? From a city's perspective, what are the priorities? What are the big challenges? And then how do we use the data and the technology to help solve those challenges? And being able to work together in a much more open and collaborative way, it really helps helps us as a technology provider look at what are the problems that we're trying to solve and where should we aim our resources, and then from the city's perspective, they're looking at, you know, what are the most pressing problems, and that kind of collaboration really enables a different way of working, and that gets to that mindset, right? It's not just about bringing a technology there. It's that mindset of how are we going to actually work together within an organization and between organizations to really tackle these big challenges, because they're really, they're big societal challenges that we need to approach from different dimensions. So it's been really, um, really exciting to see that that transformation is already happening. Thank you, Manelli. I want to have time here for Dante to chime in and then Joe to chime in. Dante, a lot of good information from Manelli. What are your thoughts, agree or disagree? I agree completely. I think it's interesting, again, how these new correlations we'll find with this insight, how we'll be able to develop the political will and uh, to, to make some of the changes that we see. So, for instance, in the U.S., we know there are certain infrastructure issues and we, we know there are certain trends and correlations to reduce traffic deaths and, and reduce traffic, but do we have the political will to come together and compromise on some of these policy decisions and budgetary, uh, programmatic budgetary decisions to get the job done and, and execute on what we know? So that'll be, that'll be the challenge, but I, I completely agree. With the, Thank the you very much. Yeah, Joe Renz, thoughts? I, again, also agree. I uh, remember the Economist uh, front page talking about data is the new oil, and uh, mm-hmm. there's a, a ton of opportunity that is associated with this. One thing I, I'd like to add, uh, we talked a little bit about Europe before. On May the 25th, a uh, new EU regulation comes into effect called the General Data Protection Regulation. And it gives the consumer much more control over their data and how companies are leveraging uh, this information. And while this is not yet, I'm going to say, available or, or law in the United States, we're starting to see this awareness where people appreciate, understand the value of the data that they are generating on a, mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Uh, vehicles generate terabyte an hour with all the cameras and all the sensors that are picking up uh, anything and everything. And the value to this data will be translated into an ability to actually exchange this value 
in exchange, for example, for free ride share or something along those lines, again, going back to this inclusive economic growth. And so imagine you don't have to pay with dollars anymore, but because you let a company like here, for example, use your data on your trip, in exchange for that, you get a free ride. And those kind of scenarios, again, are very, very uh, exciting from a technology perspective to enable those mega cities by 2030. Thank you very much. Quite an interesting topic you launched there, Manali. I'm going to move ahead, if you don't mind. I think we covered that. I want to get something in here from Dante's notes before we have to go. We've got a few minutes till our, our predictions ran, another six minutes. So, Dante, I'm looking at your notes here, and you say government cannot execute transportation. It has to extend beyond legal entities or city borders. It has to encompass geographic regions and communities of interested citizens and businesses. Very provocative statement. Dante, can you tell us more, please? Yeah, this goes back to the political will I was talking about. If you're Mm -hmm. in one city, say you're in New York City, uh, you have Westchester County outside, you have Long Island, you have to consider, you have New Jersey, people coming in from, from all uh, Connecticut, all different states and regions. There, you can solve uh, within that particular city environment and your particular city government, you can solve specific issues policy-wise and budgetary-wise in your particular city. But then when you start crossing all these legal entities and these different uh, suburban areas, same with Chicago, D.C., etc., you're going to have uh, a geographic issue. Um, and I look at the, the current county that I live in, Fairfax, we, had, we have built all sorts of roads. And back, I'd say, 20, 30 years ago, we started building out four-lane highways out to a certain, to the next county over. That county didn't want to expand their road system, mm-hmm. so it went immediately down to two, two lanes. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. um, and so it made it a bottleneck. Or um, from another area here in the D.C. region is... Um, there was one particular county, there's a highway going to D.C., one particular county said, oh, yes, you can bring the highway in, but it can never go beyond two lanes on each side for a certain amount of time. I think now it's expanded and there's some renegotiation going on after multiple years. But for years, there was a bottleneck of traffic because of that mm-hmm. one particular county between Fairfax, um, Loudoun, Arlington, down into D.C. There was no, there was no holistic agreement across the jurisdictions to develop that point A to B uh, transportation vision and execution of that plan. Interesting. How do you get people to take that holistic view? That's the challenge, isn't it, Dante? How do you convince people in those in-between places that they should be part of a bigger picture? What do you think? Right. Nothing moves forward without some insight. And, and we're thinking about data analytics, the ability to utilize technology, the Internet of Things with sensors to pull information in and make sense of the data to be able to develop a return on investment and a business case and what ifs analysis around these different traffic patterns or different ways to do things with other modes of transportation. And if we can all agree from that one source of truth, um, then that might be one way we can develop a more holistic vision across these jurisdictions. Thank you. Love to get Joe Renz to chime in on this. We just have three minutes till we go to our predictions round. So, Joe, thoughts on this, and then we'll get Manelli as well. Go ahead, Joe. I uh, very much agree with Dante. Uh, this system of systems, as we call it, has to be all-inclusive, and uh, the data will drive visibility into that system uh, that we have not had before. 
And if we now go to the machine economy and this autonomous vehicle is going to pay, for example, road usage fee as it goes, literally in real time, it might also incent these communities that decide not to expand the street by another lane to actually consider it because the road will effectively start paying for itself as soon as, as the extra lane is added. But for that, we need the, the data. We need the visibility, but we also need to change our thinking from, uh, you know, not invented here, but really all-inclusive in, uh, co- collaboration to enable the system of systems. Thank you very much. Manali Shah, love to get your thoughts. Yeah, you know, scalability is definitely a critical part of rolling out solutions. And so I'll just, I'll say one of the things I think that needs to happen is to have more data standards because that enables this sharing that goes across borders and boundaries. And that's something that in today's world is pretty challenging, um, but that's what we need to move to is having more standards so that data can be consumed and used across borders and boundaries, and then these solutions are more scalable. Absolutely. I was very intrigued. Uh, who was it who brought up data privacy? That was you, Joe, right? The GDPR? Yes. And, and who owns the data that's coming yep. through cars? And, and who's who's capturing it? Who's using it? Do they have permission? It's going to be massive. The right to be forgotten. I don't know if we can be anymore. What do you think? Are we past that point, Joe? Um, we are not past this point, no. This is okay. going to be a, a trend like healthy eating. You know, there was a time when we just ate whatever we found uh, in the uh, supermarkets, and now everyone reads the labels. And our children will look at us one day and say, I can't believe that you've given up your data so easily. Um, you should have taken control on it. And uh, this is now starting um, to this peer-to-peer economy that we're talking about when I transact directly with the machine or the machine transacts. This is where this becomes the fuel, it becomes currency, just like you don't give me your dollars very easily, you will not give me your data very easily moving forward. Mm-hmm. I like that optimism. And on that note, we are officially in the crystal ball predictions round. So, Joe Wren, should we consider that your prediction, or would you like to take 60 seconds and give me a real prediction? I'll leave it up to you, Joe. I'll take you up on my 60 seconds. Uh, <laughs> the uh, peer-to-peer economy is uh, uh, going to be a true enabler of uh, the smart cities that we all are going to live in in 2030. And uh, the peer-to-peer economy will depend and, and rely on trusted identities and will re- rely on immutability of the data streams so they can be trusted. And this is why we are so excited about distributed ledger technology with some folks on the show might know as blockchain, but blockchain yes. is one DLT, there's others. And this Internet of Things that we talked about, you know, this intersection between the physical world and the and the technology world is really going to be an enabler, um, and, and DLT will play a major role. And these technologies exist today. One of them is IOTA that we are very excited about, but there's others that can really, really help us in making these cities smart, very livable, and give us control back of our data. Thank you very much. Very good points in there. Yes, we, we do focus on blockchain on many of our shows. Uh, we have so many different series focused on different themes, Joe, and blockchain has come up many times. So when you said distributed ledger, I'm hoping that our, our audience around the world will have immediately, as I did, say, aha, he's talking about blockchain. Thank you, Joe Renz. Manali Shaw, I uh, could give you 90 seconds because Joe is so concise. So how about your prediction, <laughs> Manali? It's a gift. Go ahead. Sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know what comes to mind when I think 
of, you know, the, the vision for the future of transportation, the words that come to mind for me are integrated, inclusive, sustainable, sharing, and system. And, you know, in that last word, system, it's kind of moving from this notion of today, it's a very individualistic way that we move through, you know, transportation choices, right? It's about me getting from one place to another. And I think as we look to the future, um, having it be more of the systems view of looking at the needs across a city is really going to be where we need to go. Otherwise, we will sub-optimize and we'll create more problems. So whether we're talking about making goods move or people move, we need to look at the whole system. And so that's that's what I see is where we're going to be in the future, uh, moving from an individualistic to more of a, a systems view. Thank you very much, System of Systems. I think we've heard that. Thank you. And Dante Ricci, I saved my goodness. Uh, you can have 90 seconds as well, Dante. Well, that's great. <laughs> I'm going back to my automotive roots here. Um, and I'm not an automotive expert, but I do uh, really like the um, the intersection between automotive and cities, and, and I'm really intrigued by it. I think that we will have self-driving cars by 2030, and I think they're going to take all kinds of transportation jobs from partial services, partial services, food delivery, people delivery. They're definitely going to use an intelligent system based on machine learning, uh, harnessing big data, making sure they have better insights. Um, also, utilizing the autonomous vehicle to, uh, it, it'll probably be, in my mind, something that's rechargeable, battery mm-hmm. of some type. And I also believe they will have a blockchain-based system or some type of decentralized uh, system where you can uh, create and have transactions that are encrypted so you can pay back and forth to have the service of delivery. Uh, but I'm not sure if blockchain will be the system of record at that point in time or not. I just know payments will be automatically deducted. Now, the transition to that and how much of what percent of those autonomous cars will be on the road is, is up for grabs. I'm not sure yet. Thank you very much. Good predictions. I have to tell all three of you that I, I mentioned I recently moved to North Carolina. Very different from New York. Dante, you'll appreciate this. Whereas the Long Island Expressway really wouldn't let you do any more than 40 if you were lucky. 55, maybe you could break the speed limit. Down here in North Carolina on 540 and 40, we're doing 75 to 80 miles an hour on a regular basis. I sold my car and got got a better car because I didn't feel secure. I've never driven at 80 miles an hour on a regular basis. And here, if you're not, everybody's just passing you by, no matter what the weather, no matter what the time of night. So I traded in my 2008 sports car for a 2015 newer model, and it just feels so much better. And to somebody's point about not enjoying or not owning a car anymore, I'm not giving it up anytime soon. There's nothing like 90 degrees, top down, red hair waving in the breeze, <laughs> convertible down. And I have to tell you, my front license plate is a mirrored plate. The The plate here in North Carolina always goes on the back. That's all you have, not a two-plate two like in New York. And a friend had a plate made up for me, and it says, a.k.a. Radio Red, which is my radio stage name. <laughs> and, 
And so you see it coming, but I'm not giving that up anytime soon. I can't thank my panelists enough. Joe Renz, Manali Shaw, Dante Ricci, you've been wonderful to speak with, to learn from, really appreciate it. And I have to tell the three of you, I'm going to invite you to continue this conversation on part two on Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship series with the biggest audience, and I will send you an invitation. So I hope you all are prepared to say yes. We'll do it at the end of the summer, and we'll just keep the conversation going. Are you going to do, be able to do that with me, Manali and Joe and Dante? You going to come back? Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward Good. to that. Good. Love it. We got so much more to talk about. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? And a shout out, of course, to Aaron Keller and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. And again, RIP to our good friends left us too soon, Dave Parrish and Larry Stoley at SAP Automotive. So back again, fasten your seatbelt. Well, it's a show about cars, so you know what I'm talking about. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Joe Renz, just like Manali Shah, and just like Dante Ricci. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.